Hello and welcome to Occupied Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by the Foundation for Middle East Peace. I am Kristen McCarthy, the Director of Grants and Operations for the Foundation, and I also author a weekly report on Israeli settlement activity, which is why I'm your host today. Today is September 6th, 2022, and I'm so lucky to be here with Amy Cohen, who is the Director of International Relations and Advocacy for the Israeli nonprofit Iramim. Iramim, for those that don't know, is one of the foremost advocacy groups focused on challenging settler initiatives across Jerusalem and other injustices imposed by the Israeli government on Jerusalem's Palestinian population. I urge you, if you're not already following Iramim, to follow them on on Twitter and on Facebook, and you can go to their website to sign up for their updates. Thank you so much for being here today, Amy. Um, All right. Thank you so much for having us, for having me. (laughs) We are lucky. All right, so we are here today. I have asked Amy to help me, and by virtue all of our listeners, better understand the issue of land registration in East Jerusalem. Now, if you're thinking that this sounds like a terribly complex, weedy topic, you're probably correct, <laughs> but I promise we're going to try to try our best to keep it to why this matters and what you really need to know. Um, we're going to just keep emphasizing why this matters today as there's so many other pressing issues and land registration remains is a big one. Um, indeed, Amy and Irmim stressed that the issue of land registration in East Jerusalem will have far reaching consequences for Palestinians who have not had a formal legal avenue to register land ownership with the Israeli government since East Jerusalem was annexed by Israel in 1967. And that's exactly where I want to start with a brief history lesson going back to 67. So Amy, I think it'd be really helpful to remind our listeners how we ended up in this situation where almost all of the land in East Jerusalem, as I just said, is not formally registered in Israeli land records. Mm -hmm. How did this happen? And how has this impacted Palestinians? Thank you, Kristen, for again, this opportunity to join you and, and also particularly regarding this topic because it is so complex. But as, as you mentioned, it, can and will have and has already had severe ramifications on the political future of Jerusalem, but also on Palestinian rights. So first of all, let's let's go back um, to 1967. And as we know, uh, baseline knowledge following the war uh, in 1967, Israel annexed East Jerusalem. Of course, this is in contravention to international law and a move that's largely not recognized by the international community. And in doing so, it applied its laws of jurisdiction and administration. But what it also did was it expanded the borders of Jerusalem by 10 times. So what it did was annex land, which had been a part of the West Bank. It expanded it. East Jerusalem went from seven square kilometers to now 70 square kilometers. And following this annexation and this absorption of this new new parcels of land, is Israel decided to freeze all formal land registration procedures, okay? I want to, at least from the beginning, state what it's known as. It's in the formal language. It's called settlement of land title. Not to be confused with the expansion of Israeli settlements, but the settlement of land title is the official term, bureaucratic term, for formal land registration procedures. So I may be going a little bit back and forth between those terms, just to make sure that we have kind of that baseline information. Okay, so what happened was following this annexation in 1967 is that Israel froze all these formal registration procedures that had begun under under Jordanian rule between 1948 and 1967. However, 
it must be underscored that only around 10% of East Jerusalem had undergone such a process by 1967, okay? So the Jordanian government had only begun or began to implement those measures much later on, and then the war broke out, okay? So you left in the situation where there's the remaining 90%, around 90% of East Jerusalem is either completely unregistered or it's partially registered, okay? So what, um, in terms of how it's impacted Palestinians and Palestinian urban development, let's talk a little bit about this, is that, Settlement of land title procedure or formal land, land registration is indeed a crucial tier or pillar of proper urban planning in, in order to promote the assurance or finality of land rights, settle, like settle land disputes, ease the advancement of zoning plans and building permits, the acquisition of mortgages and so forth. And what it does is it ultimately enables and encourages prosperous and orderly urban development. And so clearly the lack of registered land in East Jerusalem has been and is still a major obstacle to urban planning and building in Palestinian areas. The question is often asked, why was this frozen? So there's no real concrete answer to this, but there are several theories, okay? One, which has been the most kind of often touted is because of political and practical challenges, okay? So one is the challenge of carrying out land registration in a densely populated urban area that was under the control of various different regimes and legal systems, okay? This is one of the actual reasons that when the British mandate, the British were in control of the area, the British actually did not carry out any sort of land registration in, in the Jerusalem area for this very reason, okay? The second is for the political challenges, the geopolitical implications within the international community of carrying out such a decisive procedure regarding land, okay? The other is that there's been this kind of lack of government consensus on one of the most critical and sensitive issues at the heart of the conflict, land ownership. And even more so, particularly Palestinian land ownership, okay, in Jerusalem. And so the, the last but not least, and again, these are theories, there's no one concrete kind of unequivocal answer to this, but the other is that there was a kind of a given assumption that East Jerusalem residents would not cooperate with the process out of suspicions that the process would be driven by ulterior motives, okay? And it should be noted that these suspicions and these concerns are warranted. They are completely justified in light of the fact that Palestinian residents of East Jerusalem have consistently faced mechanisms of displacement and dispossession since 1967. And I think at this point, it's really important for me to underscore that in this framework of dispossession is that one third of the land in East Jerusalem, most of which was private Palestinian land, was expropriated to establish Israeli settlements. So we're talking about Ramot, Pisgat Ze'ev, Gilo, and so forth. And another one third was then designated as green space and national park land. So the remaining one third are essentially the existing Palestinian neighborhoods that in 1967 at the time, they were, most of them were villages on the outskirts of the city that they were then absorbed without, of course, their, you know, without their will, absorbed into the city uh, by now Israel as the occupying power, and then of course, according to Israeli law, annexed it. And so even within this remaining one third that the Palestinian neighborhoods now exist in, 
they face severe urban planning and building restrictions, which of course, as you know, lead to these soaring rates of demolitions and ultimately serves as this kind of measure of displacement, pushing Palestinians from the city. So I'll just close with this in terms of this question is that in such a context and reality, land registration processes, which should be kind of this benign, innocuous, bureaucratic beneficial procedure, you know, a bureaucratic procedure that's beneficial for the residents themselves, it's immediately conceived as a threat to their rights, uh, to their homes, to their lands, a right to the city, and then also just a threat to the mere, their mere presence in, in Jerusalem. And so it's really conceived as this kind of another tool or mechanism to confiscate more land for state or settler interest. So I hope that kind of gives you a little bit of the history uh, and then we can proceed and talk about what is going on today. <laughs> yeah, history and then some. So I, I mean, yeah, exactly the question. What is going on today? Why, given all that you just said, that this is an incredibly complex, highly sensitive, yeah. hugely important, I don't know how to stress that enough, process, why all of a sudden is Israel, maybe not all of a sudden, why is Israel reinitiating this land registration process now, mm -hmm. um, given the 60 year history of, of status quo without it and the current political context too, like what, what is prompting this now? Yeah. So let me first start by saying, I think it's important for our listeners uh, and viewers to, to really understand the severity of this. And, and I want to begin by, by underscoring that really essentially in lieu of the state being able to carry out expropriation of large swaths of territory in East Jerusalem, like they did since 1967 until the Oslo Accords. Um, it, so in lieu of them being able to do that without eliciting kind of this intense international outcry, they have essentially engineered a new tool to appropriate land and expand state and settler control of more territory, okay? And this is, hence the settlement of land title procedures or formal land title procedures, okay? And so it is really critical to then place what is taking place today, and I'll explain how they're taking place and when they began, um, but it's really important to underscore that these procedures, we need to frame them in this kind of ongoing framework and government policy of expanding and entrenching territorial control while working to also ensure a solid Jewish demographic majority. So, I mean, you can see it as just a continuation of a thread from 1967 until today, okay? And so it is essentially another former mechanism of land appropriation. And so to get to your question of why now, it is likely at least in part as a result of intense right-wing pressure regarding the difficulty of the settler enterprise to continue develop to continue to develop and expand in East Jerusalem without the certainty of land registration, okay? And in addition to that, I would say that there are, there are, you know, more and more, there is a deficit of land reserves within East Jerusalem, okay? So there's the few land reserves that are remaining are now being used to expand new Israeli settlements, even though they're often on the edges or even within Palestinian neighborhoods. But what I would say, is that the majority, it's densely populated Palestinian neighborhoods. And so the thought of trying to either expropriate land, of course, 
without eliciting international outcry, or number two, the thought of trying to somehow establish these large housing projects over the Green Line in East Jerusalem is very difficult because of the lack of land. So you come up with another mechanism in order to expand the settler enterprise, and this is land registration, okay? And of course, as we go through, I will, I will walk us through how it is being played out and how it is being exploited by the Israeli government. So in addition to this, at the, it being as a result of intense pressure by right-wing kind of lobby, is that there is reason to believe that Ayelet Shaked during her tenure as Minister of Justice, along with Zev Elkin, who was the Minister of Jerusalem Affairs at the time, but also now is the current Minister of Housing and continuing on in his role as the Minister of Jerusalem Affairs and Heritage, were essentially the masterminds behind the reinitiation of these procedures. And we believe that they basically capitalized on political ripeness, okay, or momentum for carrying this out with with very little opposition. And what I'll say is that these procedures are being conducted in the framework of a government decision that was passed in 2018. It's called Government Decision 3790. And it was a 2.1 billion shekel investment called narrowing socioeconomic gaps and promoting economic development in East Jerusalem, okay? What it was, it was characterized as ostensibly for the benefit or for improving the well-being of Palestinians in East Jerusalem. So there were investments in education, employment, services, and et cetera. One thing to mention here that was very stark was that there was the, no mention of urban planning or housing, which of, which of course, as I spoke about prior, is that this is one of the most critical, if not the most critical issue facing East Jerusalem Palestinians today is the lack of housing, the housing crisis, the inability to build a home that is authorized or legal uh, and not be subject to demolition or to find land that they could actually build on. Even though they own most of the private land in East Jerusalem is privately owned, it is extremely difficult to build because of the lack of Israeli authorities initiating zoning plans, okay? So this leads to this high rate of demolitions. So there's no mention of urban planning or housing. And the only thing that is mentioned that has to somewhat do with housing or land is this land registration, okay? So one of the sectors that were included in this decision is land registration. And we believe that it was the doing of Ayelet Shaked, okay? And since the Israeli government announced this decision in 2018 to include land registration in this decision, there has been grave concern, okay, and suspicion that these proceedings would be exploited to dispossess Palestinians from their lands and expand Israeli control over more territory. And what I can say is, is what we've seen since 2018 until now is that indeed implementation of these procedures confirm these suspicions, okay? So the last thing I'll say here is that according to ongoing research that Iramim and a colleague organization by BIMCOM that we are conducting is that after examining the locations where these procedures have been either completed or currently underway, it really reveals the driving rationale that settlement of land title slash land registration is largely being promoted in areas where the state and or settlers have a particular interest and have some capacity to lay claim to the land in the framework of these proceedings, okay? Thank you. 
um, that unpacked so much. And I just want to emphasize that these procedures, basically what you're saying is that an ascendant and politically quite powerful settler lobby and settler population, particularly in Jerusalem, it sounds like they've run out of other ways to to find more land to develop, to expand settlements, to establish even new settlements, what we'll get to in in a few minutes here. Um, And this land registration, Eilat Shaked and Zev Elkin found this one law or plan for Jerusalem as a way to say, aha, okay, let's, let's use land registration to find more land, to open up more land, to appease the settlers who are their base. I mean, (laughs) they are one. um, And that's where we're at today. So, I mean, it may be self-explanatory and I don't want to get too into the weeds of what the the settlement of title actually is Mm -hmm. or land registration process, but in all of the updates that Aramine's been sitting out and um, you, you were characterize, characterizing this as a cynical exploitation of the land registration process. Why? <laughs> what has that looked like thus far? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question. And it's also, it accurate, accurately describes the situation and the framework in which it's being implemented. Because here we have, we have this measure that's aimed or is characterized rather at aiming at creating a better future for Palestinian residents, okay? But yet it's being exploited for the benefit of the state and or Jews with budgets earmarked for Palestinians. So remember this this is included in a very large decision of a 2.1 billion shekel investment and all of these budgets is supposed to be earmarked for Palestinians, but it's actually being exploited for the benefit of the state. And so these proceedings have largely, up until this date, have largely been utilized to either formally register land of existing Israeli settlements or to seize more territory in East Jerusalem, which will ultimately lead to the establishment of new settlements and then further Palestinian dispossession. In addition to that is that there is this extreme lack of transparency regarding the process. So both in regard to public knowledge, but also with regard to informing Palestinian residents of these procedures, you know, according to the regulations for those areas that are undergoing settlement of land title within the regulations, Palestinian residents or anyone that could potentially have claim or lay claim to the land must be adequately informed. Okay, that's part of the transparent process. What we found though, is that that majority of areas where it is already undergoing settlement of land title is that the Palestinians have not been informed. Okay, which means that therefore the rights, their rights that they supposedly have to to even initiate, to initiate a file claiming or to submit a file claiming that they have ownership to a particular land, they don't even have the opportunity to do that because of the fact that there is no knowledge there. There's no information. And so um, in addition to that is that the parameters or criteria by which the areas are selected to undergo are not made public or transparent. I'll, I'll, I'll say this is that in, in response to a freedom of information request that we filed, it's filed by Iramim, the settlement of title officer even denied the request for maps detailing which blocks are undergoing the process. So, so basically in order for us to be able to monitor this ongoing process that is completely 
lack, lacks transparency, we have had to come up with various different mechanisms in order to track and to monitor in order to eventually inform Palestinian residents that this is what's taking place, okay? And so ultimately it enables them to advocate for as much as possible, advocate for their rights. So I hope that kind of explains to you why we call it this exploitation of the system because of the fact that it's just, it's essentially basically a land seizure process that's being carried out under the guise of a decision that is ostensibly for the benefit of Palestinians. And so that's why we basically consider it a complete exploitation of, of these measures. Yes, um, I think my next question is gonna be quite a naive question, but one that needs to be asked is, is given the state of Palestinian communities in East Jerusalem, things you've described, the housing crisis, the classroom mm -hmm. crisis, the things that have resulted in lack of civil planning, um, that is so necessary. Clearly, absent of the context of the conflict with Israel, there needs to be a land registration process for Palestinians in East Jerusalem, right? Like that's that's um, that would be a net benefit if it were to be carried out, of course, faithfully. But I mean, of course, you, Iramim, and other all of your colleague organizations are deeply concerned that the exact opposite is going to happen. So can you speak a little bit more about those concerns about how Palestinians are going to be, you know, aside from settlement land, um, how can Palestinian land ownership be affected by these, um, yeah. this yeah, land registration sure. process? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I, I, up until this point, I focused, I focused a lot on how these procedures are being used and how they're being exploited to expand more state or settler control over land in East Jerusalem. But beyond that, what, what a lot of the Palestinian communities, along with Eva Meem and other colleague organizations, we've also been deeply concerned that these procedures would ultimately lead to the displacement of more Palestinians from their homes and their lands. And that's you know, through the initiation of say eviction procedures and so forth. And I'll kind of walk you through a few of these concerns. The biggest, first of all, let me just, uh, I'll kind of, I'll summarize it by this, is that first there is the application, the potential application of discriminatory laws. The second is the immense obstacle in meeting the stringent stipulations to, pr to prove land ownership. That is if Palestinian residents actually agree to go through this process, okay? And so the first is there is this acute concern that the state would act to apply the absentee property law, okay? On lands that are undergoing these procedures, leading to the potential registration of these large swaths of land in the name of the state, okay? And how it goes is if at some point in the succession of land ownership, one of the owners is considered absentee, meaning is considered living or had lived in an enemy state uh, per Israel. As per the absentee property law, this classification is actually applied to many residents of East Jerusalem. If that is the case, their property could actually be registered as partially or fully absentee. And therefore it is automatically transferred into the custodian of absentee property. And once it's transferred in the, into the custodian of absentee property, it is extremely difficult process to retrieve that. Basically the burden or the onus of, of proof 
must be, it is your responsibility. So the burden is on you to prove that you were not absent. Okay. And so we have much, uh, many examples and much evidence of the absentee property law being used as a tool to dispossess and, and displace Palestinians. Uh, most, if you know, I'm sure many of our listeners and viewers are familiar with this, the exploitation of this law by a lot of settler groups over the years in particular areas like Silwan and so forth. So there is this deep concern that through this land registration process, that they could apply the absentee property law because of the fact that they have committed to registering all land in East Jerusalem. And because there is the potential of there being many Palestinian residents considered absentee, then therefore the risk is so much higher of the potentiality of, of displacement, okay, from their homes. Um, the second is this is basically, it, it creates a catch 22 because if residents choose not to participate in the process out of fear of application of this law, they are likewise at risk of losing their property rights. Since according to the law, any unclaimed asset will automatically become state property. So it's this, you're in this impossible situation, you know, caught between a rock and a hard place because in either way you risk the loss of property or land. Okay, the the second issue is that the stipulations on on proving land ownership and documentation, okay, locating and uh, obtaining documents required to prove land rights, it constitutes another obstacle because of the fact that so many years have passed and the multiple changes in government regimes, which control the respective area. And so what you have is this result. You, residents basically face this impossible trap that could lead to the loss of their homes and cause further displacement and dispossession from from jerusalem yikes um yeah i think it'd be i think it'd be helpful to our listeners now to have to hear maybe one maybe two concrete yeah. examples of how so far this process has played out um, so if you have one or two good yeah. examples that can encapsulate some of these bigger, yeah. higher level, um, stories that we're telling here. Sure. So, so basically according to the data that we have, it's based on ongoing research and, and kind of monitoring of the process. We have information at this point that 131 blocks in East Jerusalem are undergoing land registration. Uh, according though to the official publication um, by that was released by the Ministry of Jerusalem Affairs and, and Heritage in late February, it cited 158 blocks, okay? And so the, the thing here is there's a bit of a discrepancy, okay, between, between the data. Um, and it's and it's important to underscore that because of the lack of transparency and because of the lack of public knowledge, that this discrepancy is not surprising. Okay, um, but at this point, what we have identified is that there are 131, and it spans some 3,800 dunams of land in East Jerusalem, and they're all at various stages in the process. The only two blocks that have been completed is one of which is in the Um Harun area of Sheikh Jarrah, okay? And that was completed last year. And as 
many might know is that these are where Palestinian, uh, Palestinian families face eviction in favor of settler groups. And so while the settler law, sorry, while the eviction lawsuits are basically um, being filed in conjunction or alongside the settlement of land title procedures is that basically what we see is it's it aids and abets the process of settler takeover of, of these properties okay and so these are the two blocks that have been completed but what i can do is also just give a bit of a an overview of where we've seen an overlap between between blocks that are undergoing the settlement of, of land title and the expansion of new, say, new settlement plans or the advancement of new settlement plans. And so one of the most notable, that's probably also most well-known, is Atalot. So um, as maybe many of you may be aware of, is that there have been, over the past few years, there has been an immense push to advance a massive settlement in the northern on the northern perimeter of East Jerusalem in the area of Atalot. And what do you know? There is settlement of land title or land registration that's taking place in the exact plot of land that is designated for this new settlement, okay, of like 9,000 housing units. This is also taking place in areas uh, in Ramot. They're wanting to expand Ramot. And so this is taking place in the exact area where they're wanting to expand settlement plan in Ramot. This is also taking place in areas like Givat Shaked, which may be aware of because it's kind of um, reached international media. Givat Shaked is on the edge of Beit Safafa. And it's a Palestinian neighborhood along the southern perimeter of East Jerusalem. And instead of designated this remaining land reserves and opening space, open space for the residents of Beit Safafa in the Sharafat area, the Sharafat portion of Beit Safafa, what have they done? They are initiating a new settlement plan in conjunction with advancing settlement of land title procedures, which basically aids the process of taking over more land for the expansion of settlements or the establishment of new settlements. And these are just these are just a few examples. So really what we've seen is that while again, it is painted or depicted as a, as a procedure or a measure to benefit Palestinians, it is being used and exploited to expand state control over more land and territory in East Jerusalem for the expansion of settlements. Okay, so it is extremely important to understand this. It is just another form of appropriation of land. And I think too, it shows just how, I mean, reckless, bold, unconcerned, Israel, its settlers, its politicians are with with touching some of the most controversial, sensitive neighborhoods in East Jerusalem, too. I mean, Sheikh Jarrah, Atorot. I mean, all, all of these areas are so incredibly important, have been bright red lines for so long. Um, but there's no holding back now, right? There's no, there doesn't seem to be much concern. <laughs> it is. And, and it's really interesting. One little note about the area that's designated for this Givat HaShaked settlement on the edge of, of Beit Safafa is that back during the Rabin government, the Rabin government actually undertook measures to expropriate large portions of this land to build a new settlement. But then because of US and international backlash, he ended up having to basically back down 
from those plans. So now skip ahead nearly three decades later, and they have basically come up with another solution and another mechanism in order to grab that land. I mean, it's essentially another form of a land grab. So what they couldn't do three decades ago, they are now using the land registration process in order to undertake the expansion of a new settlement on the edge of Beit Safafa, which basically depletes all remaining land reserves for the expansion of, or the extension of Beit Safafa and Beit Safafa as many Palestinian neighborhoods uh, in East Jerusalem suffer from just complete acute housing shortage and the ability to expand to meet the rising and growing population needs. And so here it is where you have the very small remaining land reserves on the edge of it would only seem normal to be able to designate it for the residents of the neighborhood, and yet it's designated for a new Jewish-Israeli settlement. Yeah, and all under the guise of legality, <laughs> all with the with the cover yeah. for Israel that's saying we're just undertaking this land registration process. We're following the law. Yeah, it's um you know the same story, different day. I mean, this is happening across the West Bank as well, right? With, it's it's the same you find new legal tools to accomplish um to accomplish the same the same end and it's and it's again under the guise of legality with with yeah. laws and, and implementing laws and court decisions that uphold these things um okay so now that i can i stop digging myself into an even deeper hole of despair um can you tell us what what can be done is there can anything be done what is iramim doing what are your colleague organizations yeah. doing what can your listeners across the world do to, to help highlight this issue and, and sure. so first, first of all, I, I can share a little bit about what we're doing and we have a long-term project, which is focused solely on monitoring the, the implementation of this larger decision. So the decision 3790 and within that partnering with our colleague organization, BIMCOM planners for planning rights, of basically monitoring and researching the ongoing land registration or settlement of land title process and using this information to equip Palestinian residents and communities with the knowledge and the ability within whichever means are available to advocate and protect the rights to their homes and lands. And then in addition to that is with this information is that we are also engaging in domestic lobbying and public advocacy, calling on the just complete suspension and freeze of these measures due to their, their really devastating impact. I mean, it's a lethal impact on the future of Jerusalem and Palestinian rights. Um, and you know, the second with this is that, although it may not pertain 100% to the land registration process, is that Iramim, we really tackle, tackle the issue of Palestinian displacement and dispossession through legally targeting state institutions that enable these processes. And so while we may not provide individual legal representation of say families that are facing eviction or demolition, is that we go after the state institutions like the Ministry of Justice and so forth that are involved in, an, in enabling or facilitating these processes. And so that's another way that we work. But to answer your question on really what can be done, honestly, what we would say is save for international engagement with the Israeli government on this matter, particularly given the current political climate, we do not foresee the Israeli government foregoing or halting these processes. And so it's it's really dependent on 
the, the international community uh, flagging this and engaging and intervening on this level and really understanding the severity of these measures and their ramifications on the political future of Jerusalem, on the prospect of any sort of you know, negotiated resolution based on like a two-state framework or two capitals in Jerusalem, but also the ramifications on, on Palestinian human rights and Palestinian rights to their lands and to their homes. And so it is really incumbent and critical for the international community to recognize its severity and and its and and basically the destructive nature of these measures, in order for them to be active and to engage with the Israeli government, and so I think, you know, I guess I will close with this by saying that because it's it's basically wrapped in a very bureaucratic and technical framing, which is an advantage, okay, to the state. There has been at least from our understanding and our view, there's been less attention to this issue. And it, I'm sure it's derived from the fact that there's, you know, kind of a, a lack of understanding of the procedures and their implications because it is so complex. We talked about this in the, in the very beginning. We needed to kind of break this down. But really, we cannot overemphasize enough the need to sound the alarm on these measures. And due to it's, it's really, um, you know, destructive ramifications. And I, you know, I guess, as I mentioned previously, I'll close with this by saying it is a continuation of the same land appropriation policy, if you want to call it land theft policy post-1967, which aims to consolidate Israeli territorial control of Jerusalem in its entirety, and also to alter the demographic composition of the city by essentially de-Palestinizing it, okay? And so what does it do ultimately? It thwarts any future negotiated political agreement to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And so this is what needs to be emphasized in all of our conversations about what is what is taking place in Jerusalem, what is the most critical issue today. It is the settlement of land title process. Thank you. Thank you for being so clear and helping me and our hopefully our listeners better understand, as you say, a very complex bureaucratic process and why it matters, what what the threat is. So thank you so much for your time today. Um, for our listeners, you. if you're interested in learning more about this topic or any of the related topics, we mentioned so many things, absentee property law, land registration, settlement of titles, settlements in general. Um, Iramim's website, Twitter, Facebook is a wealth of information. Please give them a visit, follow them, um, sign up for their newsletter. As I mentioned at the top, I also produce a weekly uh, report on Israeli settlement activity, which I could not do without Iramim's work. So thank you for that. Um, you can sign up for the foundation settlement report on our website as well. Um, and in addition to posting this podcast, we will have a page on our website where you can listen to it, you can watch the video of it, and that is also going to have a bunch of resources um, talking further, discussing further um, these topics that were mentioned here, um, individual settlements, general information about land registration. So please uh, visit our website at fmep.org. Um, and thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Occupied Thoughts. Um, we are so grateful to have you here today, Amy, and we wish you the best. Thank you, you so that, much. I'll be signing off. Have a good one. Bye.